Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, February 10th, we are studying Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 42. Jesus continues his second great discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. He's sending his disciples out to preach the kingdom of heaven, and he continues to warn them, to warn them of the persecution they will face, even from their own households, all the while comforting them by the great blessings received by those who confess Christ before the world. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It is a delight to be here. It is, as always, Pastor Hall. As we as we get started this morning here in Matthew chapter 10, we're right in the middle of the chapter. The second great discourse of Jesus here in the, the middle of Matthew's gospel, sometimes called the missionary discourse. I think that's a, a good name for this. We, give us some context here as mm-hmm. we, we dig in today. Well, I mean, where you're, go- where you're going with this discourse is Jesus has healed like in chapter nine, healed the paralytic. He's been having his questions about fasting with some of the Pharisees questioning him. But then the beginning of chapter 10 is him, you know, the naming of the 12 apostles and sending out the 12 apostles. And as he sends them out, you know, he then has this lovely, um, these words he gives them as they go out, what they're going to be able to do, what they're given to do how they are to um, live and function, but then he also gives them what they should expect, what what they have coming for them, basically, what they're going into. And that's how you then get to where we are today with verse 24 is, you know, this persecution and then, but how do we live as baptized children of God in the midst of persecution? We've got quite a bit of text before us today, so let's just go ahead and jump right in. Again, we are in Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 24. Jesus continues, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That's the text we have for today, Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 42. Pastor Hollis, Jesus starts there in our text for today. He he says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. He says a disciple is going to be like his teacher, the servant like his master. 
this makes sense from an earthly perspective. I think what's the what's the point that Jesus is driving home here? Well, this this section is on persecution. The persecution will come. So you will suffer like I suffer, not greater than me, which I believe is a is a lovely thing here. Is we bear the cross, we suffer, but the only way we're able to even suffer is because Christ suffered all for us. He suffered the wrath of the Father for us. We are just suffering at the hands of men. We're suffering in that fashion. But because Christ has assumed all of our sin on the cross, he has suffered once and for all the debt that we owe to the Father because of our sin. So we are like him. The persecutions that come his way, like from the Pharisees and the the religious leaders and all of that will come to those who follow Christ as well. The world, like it, it says in John, you know, the world will hate you, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is what we can expect when we preach the truth of God's word, not in an angry fashion, preaching the truth, meaning now the world hates us just because we happen to be um, pompous and arrogant and kind of a jerk about how we do it, but rather the world rejects the message of the cross, the law and the gospel, that yes, all men are sinful and in need of forgiveness in Christ. The only way they can be forgiven and are forgiven is in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because you preach this, expect what happens to me at the hands of men will happen to you as well. So don't be surprised when people don't like you, when people reject what you're doing. As, as I was reading through this earlier, this matter of being like the teacher or like the master, it, it called to mind, at least for me, the, I don't know if you remember those bracelets, Pastor Hall, that had WWJD on them. What would mm-hmm. Jesus do? Oh, yeah. And and it seems that these these words from our Lord give a, a bit of a different flavor to that WWJD than, than perhaps was typically conveyed by it. What do you think? No, I agree. I remember uh, preaching on this a handful of months ago saying, you know, the Lutheran church really did not, did not accept, even in some areas hated the, what would Jesus do bracelet? Because it was almost like a moralism. Oh, you know, I'm going to have a beer. Well, would Jesus have a beer? Oh, I don't think so. Things like that. Whereas how we can see it is the reality of Christ, because we are baptized into him, we will have the same sufferings he did. We will suffer alongside of him. We, we carry the yoke along with him, right? Like uh, as we, well, no, yeah, Matthew 11, you'll have that. You know, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That we see our life as Christ's life. Um, Luther would preach this all the time, that Christus example, our Christ's example. How did Christ suffer? Well, when he suffered, he didn't open his mouth, but received the suffering. And rather than giving his enemies what they deserved, he cried out, Father, forgive them. So we can look to Jesus as our great example of how to live a merciful life in the midst of persecution. And and that happens to us because, as you said, we were baptized into him, that reality that has become ours in Christ, that's the foundation, not not just sort of following his example, like you said, as, as some sort of moralism, but recognizing first that our identity is found in him, baptized into him. He has given his death and life for us, and that becomes ours as well. And so our our lives simply follow the pattern that, that he has set. Not that the WWJD would be, you know, I don't, I don't think we there's certainly times, right, where we see something that Jesus does, and that's something that we should do too, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. to to see it some as some sort of like moralistic guide for that's the question I'm going to ask everywhere. That that's a little off base. Rather, here, look at the, the pattern of your Lord's life and recognize that your life is going to follow that because because you are baptized into Him, and suffering is a big part of that. And I think that's that's often what WWJD misses. But certainly our Lord is emphasizing here in Matthew chapter 10. Oh, big time. And, and that's the reality. Suffering is not something any of us want to do. 
None of us want to be in pain. None of us want to. Well, even people who say, I don't care if anyone likes me. Yeah, you do. You want to be liked by people. Everybody wants someone um, to like them, to love them. Uh, this is a reality. And when we look at suffering and persecution, the cross is laid upon us. You'll have friends, people that you see as friends that you'll always have turn on you because you preach and hold to something that you, you say, no, this is not right. This is not the way Christ has uh, baptized us to live. Um, we are to live in daily contrition and repentance, merciful, humble, sacrificial. This is how we live. Um, it's not going to be roses every single day. You're going to have the thorns. And all we can do is look to Christ and realize I'm not suffering this to save my soul. I'm suffering this because my soul, I as a, as a whole, have already been and am saved. Yeah, that's a very helpful way of looking at it. Pastor Hall, as, as Jesus continues in this this section, he, he brings up that if they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much are they going to malign the whole household? Can you, what What is Beelzebul or who is Beelzebul? That may be a term that's unfamiliar to us. And, and what's Jesus saying here? Well, we have like a, the, the devil, right? It's um, you look at Second Kings 1 verse 2. And oh, I'm trying to get to there real quick. Um, you see this Beelzebul character there in Second Kings. Ah, oh, man, I hate thumbing through the Bible. Isn't that always fun? You you try to get to that one passage and you keep going one page over it. Second Kings right. one verse two, and there we are. Um, you see, go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. This is um, a Ah, how do you say these names? Ahaziah, something like that. Um, <laughs> and it's this prince of, of demons is who this character is, you know? And if they're calling Jesus because they say he can only cast out demons because he is the prince of demons. He is the antagonist. He, he's, the, he's, the, he's the devil. This is who Jesus is. What are they going to call the rest of you that follow him uh, but his demons? His, his hirelings, the ones who are doing his work, even though he's gone now. Um, and that's the fun part is what, what I love. Oh, I was talking with one of my, one of my members was having surgery the other day and I was talking with the family and I said, this is, this is the problem with the faith. When you actually hold to it, you will be called an evil person because They'll say, well, you're judgmental. You're condemning people. You think you're perfect and everybody else is terrible. No, I I live my life knowing that I deserve nothing but death and hell. I deserve nothing but the wrath of God. But according to Christ, according to his mercy, I am forgiven. I am saved. I am loved by God, my Father, now. And it's nothing I do but all what Christ has done and continues to do for me. And But no one listens to that part. Or even take communion practice, right? When <clears throat> we tell somebody who just shows up why they can't come up to and why it's not beneficial to them to come up and receive the sacrament without instruction. We, you can tell them all day until you're blue in the face, I'm doing this because I love you and I don't want you to drink and eat to your judgment without discerning the body and blood of Christ. They don't hear that. They hear you're an evil person that thinks you're better than me. <laughs> And you get labeled that way. Um, at least that's how I'm reading what Jesus is saying here. Right. Yeah. I'm very, very similar to how Elijah, to, to go back to, I think it's first Kings, Elijah gets called by King Ahab, the, the troubler of Israel. Look, this is, this is your fault, Elijah, <laughs> yeah. that there's a drought, right? For being faithful. And, and the same was true of Jesus that, that he is maligned for and called evil, for holding true to God's word, and so will then his his followers. But but Jesus says, "Don't be afraid of that." As he continues, have no fear of them, and and he starts talking about things that are covered being revealed, things that are hidden made known. He says he says to them, "What I tell you in the dark, 
say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. That that phrase that Jesus would say things in the dark just seems, I mean, that strikes me a mm-hmm. bit odd because Jesus is the light of the world. So what are these hidden things, these things set in the dark that are going to be revealed? What's Jesus talking about here, Pastor Hall? Well, one of the best examples is um, the transfiguration even, right? When he's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, it says he repeatedly told the apostles, don't say anything about this to anyone until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So everything I'm telling you, don't go staying right now until the hour is completed. I mean, Peter, James, John, they see Jesus, his divine nature, they see all of this. And if they come down and say, hey, this this guy is God, (laughs) it's going to confuse everybody. And because they're going to start worshiping him like they did in John 6, trying to make him a bread king. What I tell you in secret, shout on the rooftops. What I say in the dark, reveal in the light. But make sure it's all about the real thing, his death and resurrection. Um, and you see Jesus doing that all the time. Even when he heals people, right? He heals the uh, deaf mute man. He says, you know, don't, don't tell anybody this. And what does the guy do? He goes and tells everybody about it. Um, so you see that throughout his ministry. So what he's saying here applies to them in, in terms of he's told them at certain times, he's told certain people that he's, he's healed. Don't say anything now, but he's saying a time is coming when you will proclaim these things to the world. When, when all of that is, that is now hidden will be revealed. And I think, I think what you said about that, make sure it's all about his death and resurrection is the key because that, that is going to provide the comfort for the disciples as they as they move forward the fact that Christ has died and risen they've seen what their lord has gone through they've seen the pattern that he has suffered died and risen and they know that that's their pattern too so that the suffering and death isn't the end of the story but resurrection on the last day that's the end of the story and that's going to send them out then to proclaim these things from the housetops exactly Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, um, what, what's beautiful about this narrative is Jesus is building them up, not in themselves, but in him. As he keeps preaching to them, he's like, you're not going out with your own intelligence, your own popularity, your own abilities to speak. Like he said earlier in the passage, you know, the spirit will give you the words to say he's building them up in him. This is what um, every good ordination sermon is, is preparing. One of the best sermons I've ever heard preached was at my installation in Illinois uh, by uh, Reverend Ralph Taus of uh, Apostles Lutheran Church in Melrose Park, Illinois. And it was on Isaiah 6. And how he preached it was not, you know, everybody here is really blessed to have you, Chris. They need to thank their lucky stars type thing. It was you are a man of unclean lips going out to a people of unclean lips, but you don't cleanse them yourself. You cleanse them with the word of Christ, with absolution. And you see Jesus constantly building the apostles up in him throughout this narrative. And so again, he tells them, you don't need to be afraid. (laughs) At least don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Instead, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who are these, who's the one that you don't need to be afraid of, Pastor Hall? And then who do you need to fear? Well, you don't fear man, right? Uh, The Mm -hmm. psalmist says, what can man do to me? (laughs) Who we do fear is the one who kills body and soul, who kills and makes alive our God, our creator, redeemer, sanctifier. God the Father is the one we fear. That's what's so funny like about Peter. And the transfiguration, when the cloud envelops him, he lay, he falls down, covering his face in fear of God. At the voice of the Father, he's terrified. And Jesus touches him, and he's you know says, stop being afraid. And he, he stands up and sees Jesus only. But it's interesting, you know, later, see Peter not afraid of God anymore, but now he's afraid of man. He, he cowers at the voice of a little girl. He cowers at the voice of someone saying, aren't you one of them? And he runs away. He's scared to death of man. And this is how we all act. Now, we may not be scared of that one man or like, oh, there's that person that terrifies me because he's a bully. 
but we are afraid of temporal things. We're afraid of our bank account being empty or overdrawn. We're afraid of that high blood pressure. We're afraid. I mean, like take tomorrow, I'm going to be on a plane. I fear when the plane starts going down a little bit, even though we're not descending yet, why is that happening? <laughs> All of these things cause us great fear because we're, we're so terrified of what, what can someone do to us just temporally rather than having a righteous fear of God, our father who created us. And he is the one was like your mama would always say, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it. Um, God is not an angry God at us, but his alien work, that work that is not natural to him, that wrath is something that comes upon us when we, we become pompous and arrogant as if God is nothing. And I just have to worry about the things of this life. The the interplay of, of fear here, I think, is, is is worth digging into a little bit. In verse 28, Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So fear God. But then by the time he gets to verse 31, again, mm-hmm. now it's fear, fear not, therefore. So, yep. so what, and I think you've, you've started to answer this for us already, Pastor Hull, but, but explain more, dig further in. Mm-hmm. What, what does the, the fear of God properly understood? I mean, what, what does that look like? The, the fear of God is not in and of itself being so scared to death of God, like he could never love me. Outside of Christ, there is nothing but terror because you are the one now receiving the wrath of the Father because of your sin. Outside of Christ, God does appear to be a God of wrath and anger and vengeance. Um, right. When you see these terrible things happening, people ask Jesus, it, did they send more? And he says, no, but repent, lest this come to you as well. So when we look at the wrath of the father, this is something for us to see and say, yes, what I do, who I am because of sin deserves this. But a righteous fear is more than just terror at that. It's also knowing who my father is, is this God who did create me, who then redeemed me to live a holy life. And now I desire to live that holy life. I have a righteous awe. Now faith desires not to um, disappoint God, not to walk outside of God. We now have a good fear of our Father, knowing, yes, He does have full right to do to punish us eternally because of our transgressions. But because of Christ, He does not, and that's the only reason we can hear, fear not. For you are of more value than all of this. Only in Christ do we get to hear the fear not, outside of Christ. What's like uh, Melanchthon says in the Apology, um, this forgiveness is not for, it's not for smug, hypocritical sinners who think they're, they're good people. This is for the terrified conscience is the gospel. The law is preached to those who continue to abide thinking, I'm not that bad. I'm right. But what did GK Chesterton say? I don't need the church to tell me I'm wrong when I know I'm wrong. I need the church to tell me I'm wrong when I think I'm right. <laughs> I, I think the example that you gave of Peter, which I'd never really thought about before, but I, I think it's very helpful that at his transfiguration, you see him fearing God, but he fears God in Christ and Christ comes and touches him and says, don't be afraid. So to, to fear God in Christ is to have the fear ultimately taken away because you see Christ as the one who, who goes down that mountain up another mountain to be crucified for you. That's the, the right fear of God. But then to, to lose that fear of God, well, that's what you do. You see that picture of, of Peter there at Jesus' trial where he loses that fear of God. And now all of a sudden he's afraid of, of man. And, and by the end of that account, he, he's afraid of everybody, man and God. And, and he's, mm-hmm. he's just lost. And it's only when Christ turns and looks at him that, that there's the hope for restoration. I think Peter's a, a good example of that, Pastor Hall. Oh, yeah, he, he is the best example of, of the Christian life, <laughs> because you have one moment, he, he's calling Jesus Christ, then he's, 
saying, no, you won't die. And it's just always going back and forth. And it's beautiful because when we look at, well, it's, it's today, like if you have someone that doesn't have this fear of God, you almost then believe God owes you something. Like, I have a right to be here. And it's like that parable when Jesus says, when you go, don't sit at the head of the table, sit at the bottom so that they can say, friend, come on up. For if you go to the front and they then tell you to move down, you, you live in shame. When we walk into the sanctuary, when we're in the presence of God, every life is in the, every day is in the presence of God. You live humbly knowing I receive everything by grace. None of this is something I've earned. God doesn't smile upon me because I happen to be better than others. I don't deserve anything from God but wrath and punishment. But because of Christ, I can now live in joyful confidence knowing that my Father in Heaven loves me. And that removes that fear that now we don't, we don't walk in terror, but rather we walk in humility, knowing who we are in Christ. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're looking at the end of Matthew chapter 10 with Pastor Chris Hull. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Monday, February 10th, we're studying Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 42 with Pastor Chris Hull of Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we were looking at the fear of God, and, and as Jesus says, fear God, but then don't be afraid because you are in Christ. In the middle of that, he he invites, Jesus invites his disciples to to consider again the birds. Right? I mean, the birds must have a pretty good sermon to preach to us because Jesus brings them up in the Sermon on the Mount. He brings them up here again. What's the what's the sermon that's being preached to the disciples by the birds and then by the, the hair on their head as Jesus also brings up here? Well, he's preaching to them that look at the birds and how God knows them and takes care of them. And even the heads, uh, hairs of your head are numbered. You are of much more value than, than all of these things. I cherish you. It's like a parent knowing every inch of their child because they take care of them. They spend their life and their, their energy on them. And that is who God is for us. He considers us in our times of need. He, he watches out for us. Like in the first article of the creed, he protects us from all harm and danger and guards and keeps us from all evil. Not because we've done it, but out of his fatherly divine goodness and mercy. This is who God is to you. That's why I love uh, in Luke that passage where he says, don't you know it's the father's good. It's his desire to give you the kingdom. It's his desire that you have everything that belongs to him. And we need to be reminded of this every day because we don't see that on a daily basis. Um, we don't, it's not like we're living our best life now, but that's not the point. Our best life awaits us where there is no sin. So we have to be reminded. That's why Luther speaks in the large catechism in the third article of the creed that the Holy Spirit must continue to work in us the forgiveness of sins to remind us of who we are that as we struggle in this life, we may be forgiven as we anticipate that day where we won't need to be forgiven anymore, where we will have those perfect, pure, glorified bodies in heaven. So Jesus points to these things to say, if, God, if we're taking care of these, how much more are we going to take care of you? And so that then becomes the basis for the confidence that the disciples have going forward to confess Christ before the world. What's the, what's the promise that Christ makes here? And what's the warning that he gives as well? 
Well, you know, if, if those, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my father in heaven. If you don't, then I won't acknowledge you. And you could make it out like, okay, so now it's in our court. We have to confess. And if we do, Jesus will accept us. But if we don't, he'll reject us. And it gets back to how Luther speaks in um, the uh, sixth petition. Forgive us our, that's sixth, fifth. That's fifth. fifth. Petition. Forgive us our trespasses. Um, you said fifth, right? Yep. Fifth, yeah. We are, how do yep, we you're forgive? Right. The, reality that, the reality that we forgive is because we are forgiven. The reality that we confess is because we, we are saved. We are claimed. The only, with, the, with the heart we believe, with the mouth we confess and are justified, we are saved because of this. And when we confess, we're, we're not confessing a myth like St. Peter says in his second epistle. But rather, we are confessing as the Spirit guides us. We're confessing the very Word of God here. So the reality that we confess is showing that faith is given to us. And Jesus then says, I acknowledge you before heaven because you're not preaching your own thing or clinging to your own works. You cling to my work. You trust in my work. You rely on me. You depend on me. And... That is the the only way we can depend on Christ is is by faith. And it seems that with these verses, St. Peter would also be another good example to consider for, I mean, all of us, Pastor Hull, have denied Christ before men at some point in our lives, whether by word or deed. Mm-hmm. St. Peter seems another good example to bring up at this point. Well, exactly. You see his denial, not just at the trial of Jesus, but even look at his works when St. Paul confronts him in Galatians chapter 2. He confronts him because of how he's acting, what he's doing. And that's really how you and I deny Christ more. It's not by, I mean, we don't get in the pulpit and say, Jesus isn't Lord, or he only died for some sins on the cross, not for all of them. That's, That's not usually how it happens. But how we deny Christ is by our actions, by our deeds. We live as if we're almost functional atheists throughout the week. If you removed God, would our week be different? How would it be different? What we do, how we speak to people, how we live with people, how we act when we're driving, when we're shopping at the grocery store, what groceries we buy. Are you being selfish in all the food you get, you know, or are are you thinking of the love for your neighbor? I mean, I remember I I wanted to write an article one time. Should you commune people who gain weight? And of course, I'm a a rather large guy. And it wasn't to say, oh, if you have a weight problem, you shouldn't have communion. The point being made was, are we thinking of our neighbor no matter which sin we commit, be it gluttony or lust or coveting? Are we living in love for our neighbor and for God or love of ourself? And that's the real issue behind anything. Um, took too much to try to explain that, of course, but it's always well, fun. Someone and, said, would you have bu- a scale at church? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We're, we're not going to install a scale at, in Smithville, Pastor Hall. Yeah, no, no, you, I don't think it'd be good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But so, but back to, back to, to Peter, though. We see Peter, I mean, of of all the denials of Christ in the New Testament, his stands up near the very top of that list. And, and so these words would apply to him. And yet the, the beauty here is that Christ restores Peter after his denial. And so even, even with these words of warning here at the end, we still find our confidence in Christ when we, like St. Peter, have denied Christ. Well, Exactly. The only confidence we have is in Jesus restoring us. Um, You even see this when Paul confronts Peter. There's still reconciliation. There's still renewal in Christ. No matter how many times you fail and fall, Christ restores you in his righteousness. And that is the the blessed thing we have. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So so Jesus continues then, and we get get some really striking language from Jesus. I think we'll, we'll put it that way. And, and words that when we come across them, make us scratch our heads and say, say, say what Jesus do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And, and we say, but Jesus 
Remember Isaiah chapter nine, you're the Prince of Peace. Remember, remember mm-hmm. the angels at, at, at your birth, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Remember even, even just a few verses prior in, in Matthew 10 verse 13, Jesus told his disciples, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. So, we, we don't want to say that Jesus is contradicting himself or the scriptures, that that answer is out of bounds. So how are both things true? How, how is Jesus the Prince of Peace? How is, is his peace coming upon the houses that receive the preaching of the apostles? And yet, how is what he says here true, that he's not bringing peace but a sword? Help us sort this out, Pastor Hull. Well, it's, it's the problem we have is our understanding of peace. How is there peace in the household? Is usually through compromise. How do you have peace? at Christmas time and Thanksgiving is you don't talk politics or religion and you don't talk about uh, Billy's new girlfriend that no one likes, but we're not going to talk about it because we want to have a good dinner. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to compromise and say, okay, everybody, let's just drop it and get along. He came that we may have p- ultimate peace with our father by dying in our stead on the cross. He came that that peace may happen, that only in him, as he is the way, the truth, and the life, only in him is there real peace. Only in denying the self, only in you decreasing that Jesus may increase is there peace. And this message divides. It causes division because some believe and others don't. We don't know why, right? Why are some saved and others aren't? We don't know the answer to this question. You know, ultimately, what, why does this? Well, take like the Hitchens brothers, Peter and Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens, militant atheist. Peter Hitchens, Christian apologist. Hmm. Yet they both grew up in the same household with a mother that was Jewish. This doesn't make sense. But it's a divided household because of the word of God. And the word of God does divide because some receive it and others do not. So it's not denying those things from the Old Testament. What it's saying is this peace is a, it's not a worldly peace, right? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid as recorded in John's gospel. Yeah, I, I like that. Not a worldly peace, and not a, not the peace of compromise. Which I, I I think you're right. That's typically what we think when it comes to peace is some sort of a compromise. I give a little, you give a little, or we just sort of agree to to get along, even though we don't really like each other at the end of the day. And that's not yeah. what Jesus is is talking about when he talks about the peace that he comes to give. The peace that he gives is peace with God of sins forgiven. You are no longer God's enemy, but you are reconciled to God in Christ. And all who have received that, that is the reality that they live in. And for some reason that we don't know why, it it doesn't make any sense. People reject this. It's not God's desire that they reject it, but they do. And so the result, again, not not God's desire, but the result of it is that there is this division. And that division cuts even to the closest familial relationships that we have. It, it, it hits us even in our families. It hits us where it, where it hurts. And Jesus, well, I mean, this is part of the, the suffering of the Christian still, isn't it, Pastor Hall? Oh, indeed, because it gets closer to you. If I go into a town and no one knows me, I don't know them and they hate my gut. Okay, I haven't really gone, grown close to them. But when your wife rejects you, because of what you hold to, or your husband, um, your, your sister or brother, your son or daughter, your mother or father, when these things happen, that hurts more because you have this relationship with them. You have this love with them. And now if they despise you because you hold to this truth, and th- that's when the even deeper persecutions. That's why Jesus says, you know, if, if one loves um, father or mother more than me, if one loves son or daughter more than me, and that's hard. I mean, loving mother, father, we, we love our parents, but I would say the tougher one is son or daughter. You as a parent, you love your child. You know, it's, you're reminded of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. <laughs> you have this great love 
for your child. Um, and what it comes down to is, do, do you trust that God loves you? Because when you have that trust, then the love you have for your family has its proper place. It's not salvation itself. It's not God itself, but rather a gift from God. So what Jesus says about loving father or mother here is not him. He's not overturning the fourth commandment, but he's rather keeping the first commandment before the fourth commandment. Yes. Well, and also, and, and that's the thing is, you love mother and father in the understanding that they are the ones who stand in the stead of God. We're, right? Luther says we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. And we do this because God is the one who has placed those parents and authorities over us. So it's not us rejecting the fourth commandment. It's knowing what its proper place is, is as a, a not just commentary, but a, a continuation of that first commandment. Jesus then summarizes, I think we would say in verse 38, that whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What, what does that mean, Pastor Hull, to take up a cross and follow Jesus? Well, it means, one, it's, it's just death itself, right? The cross itself is death. That's how the Romans killed criminals. That's how um, that those who would follow Christ would suffer all even— Well, we have this, right, in the confirmation, right? Will you suffer all even death rather than fall away from the faith? And you say, yes, with the help of God. And then you never see him again until they're ready to get married. Um, so it's fun. <laughs> I guess that's pessimistic, right? But it's— it's interesting, though. We asked this question, and I'm like, can, is, can anyone really seriously answer this one? Yes, I'm going to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from the faith. And it's a great thought. It's a great promise. But we immediately break it. And to pick up the cross and follow Christ is, this is the cross Christ has given me to bear, to carry in this life. It may be death. It may be loneliness. It may be a, a great anxiety. It may, whatever that cross is that is laid upon us, we bear it in this life and follow Christ. Not because we do this, therefore Jesus loves us, but because we are baptized into him, we suffer as he suffers. And we now bear this cross. Um, when you look at, some of the writings of like Bonhoeffer, even I know the cost of discipleship, he gets a little iffy in that, but it's interesting why he writes it is Christians have almost this entitlement. We've bought into the prosperity gospel stuff because I'm a Christian. My life's going to be amazing. No, it's not because you're a Christian. Your life is going to be suffering. It's going to be suffering. You want to know where the church is? Follow the blood of the martyrs follow the blood of his followers. That's where the church is. It's not where the big lights are and the flashy stuff and the billboard signs. That's not where it is. Where it is are those suffering for the sake of Christ. That's where the church is. Two things I want to highlight there about the cross that we would we would pick up when when it, Jesus says take his cross and follow me i think i think you said it well that this is something that is given to the christian it's not necessarily something that's chosen by the christian i don't i don't get to choose what cross i bear christ gives it to me and and then the other thing that i would highlight too is that when we suffer under these crosses i think i think you said it well earlier we we're not it's not because we're suffering for being a jerk Right, we're suffering because we're following Christ. That's the type of cross that we're talking about here, right? Exactly, exactly. You're suffering for the sake of Christ. It's not, you know, I I, I stand on my traditions and suffer because I hold to something. It's I suffer because I'm living as Christ has given me to live. I'm living in sacrificial and humble love for my neighbor in doing works of love for them, in sharing the Word of God with them, 
in season and out of season, meaning when, when they desire to hear it and when they don't. Um, and that reality, that is the cross we bear. Mm. Jesus concludes then with a, a very paradoxical statement. It seems whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Is that just further commentary on this matter of carrying a cross? What, is, what does that mean? Well, it's carrying the cross, but it's also losing your life. Is what, what defines you in this life, you know? Uh, yesterday, what was the big deal for you? The, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl? Was it uh, the Super Bowl commercials? Was it, you know, what? It, or was it the divine service that morning? Or even in the divine service, what, what are you really getting out of that? What's the point of that? Is it, well, I've ne- I haven't missed a Sunday in 52 years. Or is it, you know what? Yeah, I haven't missed a Sunday in 52 years, but it's because I need it. I need this. I need to be told that no matter how flawed I am, my Lord and Savior loves me. That I forfeit my life and whatever there is in this that I think is important, that I think is necessary. It, none of this stuff matters. Um, football doesn't matter, nor does baseball or soccer or whatever. None of that matters. Um, what matters is that which is eternal. What, there's that meme, right? It has a kid playing baseball. Your child has a point zero 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 nine chance of becoming the next, you know, A-Rod or something. You know? But <laughs> in Christ, your child has a 100% chance of eternal life. What's important? That my son knows the fourth petition to the Lord's Prayer and its meaning? Or that he's the, the number one swimmer on a swim team? What actually matters? Everything else is forfeit because that stuff perishes. What matters is what is who and who we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Bringing up the divine service, I think, is appropriate here, especially as Jesus continues, because he, he says, whoever receives you, you, you 12, whoever receives you, they're not really just receiving you, Peter or Matthew or, or Thaddeus, right? They're receiving Jesus. <laughs> and to receive right. Jesus is to receive the Father. This is this is a wonderful promise that Christ is is closing his his discourse here with. Well, it's glorious because I I can't remember who I was listening. Oh, it was uh George Borgart at a higher things breakaway. He said, "No no man ever becomes a pastor because he wants to condemn people. Because he wants to withhold forgiveness." He becomes a pastor because all he wants to do is tell people who Jesus is for them. He wants to show people Jesus, that Jesus loves them and forgives them. This is who your pastor is. Your pastor is the guy that wants you to know that God loves you. God doesn't hate you. God loves you. That's who your pastor is. He is the guy that walks in the room. That's why he wears a boring black outfit with a white collar not to look cool. It's not to look intimidating. It's a boring outfit. It, it, it's forgettable. It's not flashy and stuff. It, it, it's simple because the point of everything is what he wants to tell you is as you're going into the surgery, take heart. Your Lord loves you. As you're going through financial problems, take heart. Your Lord loves you. When you're going through health problems, your Lord loves you. And all the way down the line, everything is God loves you in Christ. And when you receive that, you see your pastor and go, that's the man who's here to tell me the good news. And I receive him. I'm receiving Jesus. And because I'm receiving Jesus, I'm receiving the father who loves me. And, and so that then would be the prophet's reward, the righteous person's reward to, to this reward that Jesus says, you know, when you receive a prophet or you receive a righteous person, you will receive the same reward that they have. This is the reward that, that to know that in Christ you have a God who loves you? Exactly. You have a God who loves you. That's, what, what better reward can you have than that? That God isn't angry with you. Because <laughs> that's, that's what happens, right? As you're a kid and you do something, you know you're in trouble. Why are you scared of mom and dad? Because you think they're going to be angry with you. You're terrified of them. And it's the same with God as when we transgress his commandments, God's angry at me. No, he, on the cross, all of his anger was consumed. And you now receive the gift of his forgiveness. 
Now, of course, then the accusation, well, can't people use that as a license to sin and do whatever they want, going, well, God will forgive me. Well, that, But that's not faith talking. That's licentiousness. That, that's you trying to live for yourself still. And that's answered above this, right? With whoever, you know, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And, and this talk of reward then, I think just to, to, as we wrap up this morning, provides great encouragement to the Christian as he undergoes this persecution to know that, that what he's receiving right now, this, this persecution, this hatred from the world, that can't compare to what, what we have in store, what God has in store for us on the last day. Pastor, we've got about two and a half minutes to, to draw that out or, or summarize the morning for us. Well, what I love how it ends is whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say, he will by no means lose his reward. Even doing that little thing for those who are the disciples. As Jesus builds this up for his apostles, yes, you're going to be persecuted. You may even have family members that deny you and reject you. But don't, don't lose heart. And this is something that we all need to hear, too, is the world may hate you (laughs) and the devil hates you. Christ loves you. And it's not an abstract love like you have to sit around imagining it. He brings you your pastor. He brings you your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who tell you, yes, not only does Jesus love you, but I love you as well. And I am here for you to bear this cross with you as we suffer together. For we suffer bearing the little cross because Christ bore the great cross for us, that we may suffer no more. We will not suffer eternally, but rather we will have joy eternal. So let us take heart in this brief momentary affliction, for it is that it is momentary it is passing for we look not to the things that are transient but to those things that are eternal that we may have confidence that even though we suffer in this life in the one to come every tear will be wiped away from our eyes because of jesus pastor chris hull is the pastor at zion lutheran church in tomball texas helping us this morning with matthew chapter 10 verses 24 through 42 pastor hull thank you so much for your time today Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It was always a joy. Baptized into Christ, our lives follow the pattern of his. He has suffered for us. The wrath of God has been removed because of his cross. And now we follow him in that same path through suffering, through the cross, carrying it behind him. Whatever he has laid upon us, we carry that with joy, with patience, knowing that in him, our eternal reward is secure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.